uh, we thought it would be appropriate also along with that having experience in the masjid environment and with the teen and having sahaba mashayikh and ulama uh, to tie them together we felt he would be the most appropriate host for this topic all right bismillah rahman rahim so uh, i'm sure a lot of you that are sitting here that work in corporate america and uh, i'm not the only one I mean, i'm sure there's every you know most of you run into this challenge so what is up so you know, I want, to, I want to start with, with the most common thing that we run into, right? It's about at the workplace, I mean, workplace is mixed, it's gender mixed, right? So it's not like uh, you can avoid. So it is uh, it a very common thing within, within the environment, regardless of whatever you work. So how can, as a Muslim you know, employee, can be very comfortable engaging in the interaction during the meetings, team building activities, and social events while staying true to their beliefs, right? While maintaining your identity and your values and not sacrificing. So, uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on and uh, how we can carry this. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. So that's a very important question um, that a lot of us face. Just to take a step back, inshallah, that um, when it comes to earning itself and working um, in, in, in general, that this is a command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are different issues that are going to be discussed today. But one uh, underlying theme in all of them is that we have to understand that we are an abd and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah is our master and that this life is a test. So there are going to be different challenges, but um, we have to remain strong. We have to remain steadfast. It is through knowledge that we can understand and we can learn uh, that um, how to approach different scenarios. Um, is this something that can, we can compromise on or not? What issues are, are non-negotiable? Which issues are negotiable? Um, and how to have the hikmah and wisdom of um, approaching the given situation. You know, we can make mashara with our elders, with mashayikh, with those who experience in the field, in the respective field. But first of all, the first hadith of Sahih Bukhari, the first hadith of many books is innamal a'malu bin niyat. When the actions are based upon intentions. So what is our intention when we're working? We have to make the niyyah daily, whenever we go to work, that this is an obligation. This is a commandment of Allah, this is a commandment of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Earning a livelihood is an obligation, it's farad, after the remaining faraid. So it is a form of ibadah. And uh, the, the men who are here listening, their sisters also listening, perhaps on, on site as well as online. This is a primary responsibility Allah has put upon the men. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that nisa. Allah ta'ala has given the responsibility of men to be the caretakers of the family. This responsibility Allah has given them. And because they are spending from their wealth. So it is the responsibility of the father to provide for his children. It is the responsibility of the husband to provide for the wife. Um, 
you know, when they're together as a family, even in na'udhu billah, in the case of divorce, uh, still the father is responsible for the financial upbringing of the children, uh, financial expenditure of the children, even if the mother has a custody. Not because I'm talking about the Western courts, I'm talking about Islamic law. So this is an obligation. So we should make the niyyah. And if we don't, then there's a huge potential loss of thawab. 40 hours a week, like typical, for example, 40 hours of ibadah is gone. It could have been 40, year, 40 hours of thawab. We barely made one night of ibadah. And, you know, we are doing 40 hours a week. But is it ibadah or not? And then the ibadah of, is of two types, you know, primary form of ibadah and secondary form of ibadah. And the primary forms of ibadah is dhikr and dua and tilawa, salah. But this is a secondary form of ibadah. So let us make the correct intention. But majority of the ummah by default is failing in this. And the default is to fail. And how can we make such a claim? Because of the hadith of Rasulullah the standard, he said, is Sorry to say this. I don't want to be attacking any particular group. But tujar like businessmen. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the starting point is all the businessmen, on the day of judgment, will be fujar, will be sinners. Then the exception, the few, except for those who fear Allah, speak the truth, and do good. So there are few. Um, so, you know, to, uh, so fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, having the sense of accountability, and with all the issues that Brother Mujahid is mentioning, starting with the gender interaction, which was, I'm not going to forget about the actual question, but it all boils down to uh, remaining firm on the deen, remaining firm on the fact that Allah is the raziq, the risk comes from Allah. You know, this is a, like a suluk type of whole question about, you know, tawakkul and ikhtiyar of asbab. Are we supposed to just make tawakkul and say that Allah will provide and not make any effort? Or are we supposed to make effort? So since we're talking about Allah is the raziq, yes, Allah is the raziq, but He has commanded us to adopt the means. And the one hadith that people misunderstand many times is that Rasulullah said, لَوْ أَنَّكُمْ تَوَكَّلْتُمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ حَقَّ تَوَكُّلِهِ If you would have tawakkul on Allah, uh, the way it is the right of Allah that you have tawakkul in. What is tawakkul again? Trust. If you trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way you're supposed to trust in Him, then He would provide risk for you the way He provides for the birds. The hadith ends here or not? No, it does not end here. Then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, that they leave in the morning with empty bellies and they come home to their nest with full bellies. Yesterday, those of you who are here, I talked about the scenario where I was sitting in a crowd and one of the speakers was saying that reject your math, go with the Quran, right? And then how that was an incorrect understanding. Does anyone remember or forgot? Okay, so this hadith as well, many times I've heard this hadith and after that I heard a quotation that look, if you have true tawakkul, Allah will provide you like the birds. Does the bird have a degree? Does a bird have a bachelor's or a master's? Does a bird have, uh, you know, get uh, wages, works? Which corporation does it work for? So you're supposed to have tawakkul like the bird and Allah will provide you like the bird. But did you notice what the Rasulullah said in a hadith? He said that if you have tawakkul, Allah will provide you like the bird. Thereafter, Rasulullah said, It will leave its home 
empty bed. Why is it leaving his nest? Taruhu, it comes back to its nest. So the leaving the nest, the taghdu is to leave in the morning, and taruhu is to return in the evening. It leaves this nest in the morning and comes back in the evening. What is it doing? Searching for food, making effort, yeah, nine to five. <laughs> so, the, the, uh, why is, that's not an unnecessary detail. That's not just incidental, coincidental. There's a specific reason why Nabi Sallallahu mentioned that. So you have to make the effort. Even the hadith on tawakkul is talking about making effort. Even the ayat of the Quran that talks about, okay, you'll say, what is the most extreme form of, uh, of risk coming right to you directly? The extreme form of that is uh, a divine miracle, mu'ajizah. Yes or no? Not even in karamatul awliya, mu'ajizatul anbiya, the highest level. It's a supernatural feat of, of a Nabi of Allah. Effort is required there too. Like Ayub al-Islam is when he's, uh, when he's sick, Allah Ta'ala could have just said, okay, you know, instantly you're cured after the seven years of his sabr. What did Allah Ta'ala say? He wanted to see the effort. He said, Urkuz birijlik, in Surah Saad, hit your heel onto the ground. Hadha mukhtasalun baridun wa sharab. Hadha mukhtasal, a spring will gush forth that you take ghusl with it and you drink the water. When you take ghusl, all the skin disease will go away. When you drink the water, internal disease will go away. But the key thing is urkuz, hit your heel. Why you have to hit your heel? Allah wants to see an effort even in the miracle. When Maryam salam had a very painful delivery and she was uh, just delivered to Isa salam and she's in and has a shock of, on her and she has the shame with having the baby as well. What happened? Right? There is a dry tree and it is out of season and there is nothing on the branches. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have given her the fr fresh fruit in a plate. But Allah Ta'ala says, Huzi ilayki Shake the branch of this dead tree. Tusaqit rutaban Fresh rutab dates uh, will descend upon you and you can eat. So that's why we do have to make effort. But the test is, you know, the test is, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, okay, if you have tawakkul, you don't want to work, and then the, 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 the risk comes from the sky straight onto your plate, that actually would have been in a way easier. How is that easier? The reason it's easier is if you have tawakkul, you'll get the food. If you don't have tawakkul, you won't get it. Black and white. Like the last supper of the disciples of Isa salam. Right? That they call it the last supper. Anzil alayna ma'idatam minas sama. They said, oh, oh Isa salam, bring down a table spread from the sky. The test here is that we are supposed to adopt the means, but we are not supposed to have the trust in the means. We have to have the trust that Allah is the Razif. Allah is the Razif. And so you'll say, okay, the non-Muslim is also working, the Muslim mutawakkil is also working. One believes that Allah is providing risk, the other one believes his job is providing risk. That may be just an internal difference of uh, perspective. Theological approach is different. Practically, there's no difference. Yes, there is a practical difference. What's the practical difference? The practical difference is that in these challenges he's mentioning, the person who believes their job and the position is providing the risk, not Allah, 
He will sacrifice the order of Allah to, secure, to keep the job secure. But the one who believes that Allah is a Raziq, he knows that Allah's Sifa or Razaqiyah is to provide the risk, is not limited with this job. He's, he's doing the job, he's working hard because that is a command of Allah. But he does not limit the Qudra of Allah to this job. So if things do not work out based on the Sharia, then he will have tawakkun on Allah and he will resign. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing to say, but I'm saying. That's the difference. Like today is Jum'ah. Now, if there is a person who has a bunch of clients lined up in his store, and the adhan for Jum'ah is going. So from the morning till Jum'ah, the one who believes that the, uh, his store is providing him risk, he is working. The one who believes Allah is providing him risk, he's working. They're both working. So it doesn't, you don't see the difference. But then when, Ya ladina amanu idha nudiya salati min yawmil Jum'ah, or those who believe when the adhan for Jum'ah is called out, فَسَعَوْا إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Hasten to the dhikr of Allah. وَذَرُوا الْبَيْعِ وَذَرُوا الْبَيْعِ Leave buying and selling. It's a direct command. And this خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ is better for you in كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ If you but knew. So the one who believes Allah is a Raziq, he will close the store in the face of all the customers. And he'll, so, so there is a difference. There is a practical difference for the one who believes Allah is a Raziq versus the one who believes the, the job is a Raziq. The Allah is the Rabb or the job is the Rabb. And then all of the other issues, all the halal and haram issues of working, all of the gender interactions talking about, all of these things, it'll become easier for a person. First of all, you'll have to do is, he develops the yaqeen that Allah is Raziq, that's the first step. Second is that he learns what is halal and haram, what's right and not right, which we are talking about. And then third, he will be implemented in his life. And he'll continue to make dua to Allah to give him tawfiq. But it all starts with what? What's the actual starting point? Is developing that yaqeen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, that make mashwara, make a plan, make a tadbir. Don't do things haphazardly in life. Tadbir is something we have been commanded to uh, have a, a plan of action. To and uh, even taking opinions, Allah Ta'ala asked Rasulullah even though he was receiving divine revelation, take mashura. Then when you make your final decision, then you do not rely on your plans. We made an amazing five-year plan, 10-year plan, 20-year plan to grow our business. So Heinz can you know, take over the world. All right? It is already the the biggest catch-up, right? Craft, right? So, so you make a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year, 50-year plan for our craft. But after you make the plan, فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Don't trust in your plan, trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ When you make your plan, then trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everybody knows the hadith. اِعْقَلْهَا وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Tie your camel, and then trust in Allah. So, Tying the camel, making the plans, earning, these are utilizing the means. Then we have to trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we have this concept grounded really strongly and implanted firmly in our hearts, all of these challenges will become easy. So this is the general introduction to the whole concept. We have to work on this. This is the reality. 
This is the haqiqah. That Allah is the razib. May Allah Ta'ala grant us that yaqeen. And وَمِنَ الْيَقِينِ مَا تَهَوِّنُ بِهَا عَلَيْنَا مَصَائِبَ الدُّنْيَا Oh Allah, there's a part of a longer dua. Allah maqsum lana min khashiyataka ma tuhulu bihi baynana wa bayna ma'asik. Oh Allah, grant us such fear of you that prevents us from your disobedience. Allah maqsum lana min khashiyataka ma tuhulu bihi baynana wa Grant us such obedience to Balighuna Jannatak, which takes us to Jannah. And number three, Wa Mina Liyakin, such Yakin, Ma Tahawinu Biha Alina Masaiba Dunya. That will make it easier for us to go through all the challenges of life. And in our discussion, the challenges of the workplace. Now, with respect to interaction of the gender, there's a specific date, if you have seen in the flyer, where the whole session is only about gender interaction. So there's much that can be said on this topic, which we will have it in his due place. But since Brother Mujahid mentioned it now, I'm just giving a disclaimer, this is not the end of the discussion. So if there's further Q&A about this topic, we can keep it because there's a whole session till Ishraq, one of the days coming up, which is just about gender interaction. But he did mention it, so we, we have to talk about that briefly, is that There are rules of conduct with an uh, the opposite gender that have been very clearly delineated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nur and Surah Al-Ahzab. Um, so when it comes to uh, guarding the gaze, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Nur, Command the believing men to lower their gaze. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Ahzab about speaking as well. This was in the Tarawih recent. No, not yeah, a few nights ago. Well, in the 22nd Jews. Do not speak in a flirtatious manner. Then the one who knows heart, there is a sickness, he will be inclined towards that. Towards something haram. And khalwa, remaining in solitude with an ajnabiya woman is also haram. So we have to make sure that we avoid khalwa. Rasulullah said, Thalithuhuma shaitan. Thalithuhuma, which is a very unique wording. Because you have one and you have two. And then Rasulullah said, the third of the two. If you have any group, and you have a group of five, you'll say first of the five, second of the five, third of the five, fourth of the five, fifth of the five. Can you say the sixth of the five? So here is Thalithuhuma, the third of the two. Because two are from the Alimul Mushahada and the one is from the Alimul Ghayb. Two you see and the one is the unseen. Right? So the third of the two. Two of the seen and there's a third unseen there. Whenever there's three in a meeting, the fourth one is Allah. Whenever there's five, the sixth one is Allah. Less or more, there's always Allah. Surah Al-Majadana. He's not only there, he's, number, he's recording the minutes of the meeting. Then not only recording it, then he will repeat everything that happened on the day of judgment. SubhanAllah. So if you remember, so khalwa with an ajamir remaining in solitude is haram. Speaking flirtatiously, going beyond what is a pers- um, professional requirement into uh, other aspects of one's life and her life or your life, right, is, is, is prohibited. And 
um, guarding the gaze from uh, looking at that which is prohibited and also na'udhu the lustful gaze Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that every part of the body there's different form of the zina wa zina al-ayn al-nadhar so the zina of the eyes is to look with lust may Allah protect us from that this is one of the poison arrows of shaitan and historically back from the from the anthropologists who study human society in its development throughout times, there was a natural division where even like the caveman, the caveman would go out and hunt and he would bring the food and the, and the cave woman would uh, cook it, right? <laughs> this was a division. These, are, these gender roles are being completely, not blurred, but obliterated, completely destroyed now. But um, so if you look at United States, history as well um, the woman since we're talking about interaction of men and women in the workplace I'm not trying to go too far from the topic so what happened is uh, women were primarily in these United States uh, homemakers and they were raising the generation and uh, they were providing that nurturing motherly care for their children then one a big uh, global event that took place that directly impacted this dynamic was World War II. When World War II happened, in large numbers, the workforce of young men were shipped overseas in the battlefields of Europe, in the European theater of the war, and the Asian side as well. Right, so the allies against the Axis powers. So, and it was Germany and Italy, right? Hitler and Mussolini, they were in Europe, but it was also the, the J Japan, Imperial Emperor of Japan. So they were both sides of the war. That's why it's the World War, right? World War II. So, so many thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of men were shipped overseas. So there was a huge shortage of, uh, of workers in the factories to supply the war machine. And the capitalistic, uh, you know, indro, uh, industrial military complex, they needed workers. And they were asking the women to come and work. But the women were so relaxed, so happy, believe it or not, just a generation ago at home, they didn't want to go out and work. Why should we leave the comfort of the home? So the government of the United States of America, they had a whole program of marketing to create within the, the woman, the desire to leave the comfort of their home. You know, is the comfort of the home or confines of the home? It changes the whole <laughs> feeling. The confines of the home, confined to it, or you're comfortable in it. So anyway, so then they had all these posters. They had the propaganda for the men and they had a propaganda for the women. The propaganda for the men was be a patriotic citizen by enlisting, join the armed forces, aim high, join the air force, etc be a marine. So they, this was the targhib and tashkil and the recruitment for the men. And for the women, there was whole department of marketing for you want to be a patriotic woman, what do you need to do? Enter the workforce. Come work in the factories. Come work in industry. Come work in, in, in uh, all of uh, the different forms of, of um, corporation and work. Mostly, of course, starting them off at low paying. Actually, that was part of the reason. 
that they realized that the, the women, they were more docile, they were more obedient, they were following the rules, they were not giving trouble, and they were happy with less pay. So the taskmasters and these uh, factory owners, they said, wow, this is really good. It's, almost, it's way cheaper and getting better results. Better results with respect to what's the bottom line? Profits. Better profits. So um, the gender pay gap is something that was then created by themselves here, the Western secular people. There's no gender pay gap in Islam. There's a whole ayah that destroys the concept of gender pay gap. With the 10 sifat are mentioned. Innal muslimina wal muslimat wal mu'minina wal mu'minat wal qanitina wal qanitat wal sadiqina wal sadiqat wal sabirina wal sabirat wal khashi'ina wal khashi'at wal mutasaddiqina wal mutasaddiqat wal sa'imina wal sa'imat wal hafidina furujam wal hafidat wal dhakirina wal akathira wal dhakirat. Ten attributes Allah mentions. These are the different tasks and jobs. And the end, what's the pay? Forgiveness and great reward. For men and women. So there's no gender pay gap in Islam. They created the gender pay gap. Then what happened is, when the men started returning back from the war, they didn't want to give up these women. They said, no, 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 we want to keep you. Because you, we're paying you less and you're working more. Giving us less trouble. So there, this was like the, the, the people who were saying, this is not, some, this is not Imam Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, or Imam Bukhari, Abu Dawood. This is people who are studying American society, historians of here. They have come up with this data and research that what happened when the women entered the workforce. It's not um, coincidence. There's a direct correlation that there's um, objective data for example, children born out of wedlock, like zina is happening, you say, oh, it led to promiscuity. What's the proof of that? Okay, children born out of wedlock, it's not Maryam alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam. This is through zina, okay? So, this children born out of wedlock, the chart, as the women enter the workforce, they're in, mingling with men. Men and women are mingling where? Workplace. Because they weren't mingling before. But now when they started mingling in workplace, what happened? Just look at the chart. It just skyrockets. As the women enter the workforce, at the same time the zina is going out of control. The, the divorce rate increasing, the zina increasing, premarital is increasing, extramarital is increasing, um, STDs are increasing, unwanted pregnancy is increasing, all of this. So it's not just, uh, you know, you're just being paranoid. The case studies prove that this is what happened. As recently as, you know, in the time of Marimah Islam, 2,000 years ago, oh, she was afraid when she said, Ya Allah, how am I going to go face the people? Allah Ta'ala said, relax. Say, I have taken a vow of silence, I cannot speak. The baby will speak. But she had that shame. You think that's 2,000 years ago? Can you believe it in America? Because we are originally from down south, Kankakee. Past that, there were areas, you know, in the 50s and 60s, up to, up to the, now the sexual revolution, they call it, of the 60s. In the 40s, up to the 40s and 50s, if someone in this United States, believe it or not, became pregnant, it would be such a shame on the family that they would send them in the middle of the dunies, uh, boonies out in like downstate from anywhere in the northern suburbs where the population is. They would send them in the middle of the cornfields 
and they'll say, oh, our daughter has gone for um, excursion or to visit family for two, three months somewhere. And, you know, when they hit the second trimester onwards, when it becomes visible, they'll send them there for a couple of months. They stay there. There's a whole facility for all these women who are pregnant. You know, can you believe this? I'm talking about United States of America a few years ago, a few decades ago. And they would deliver the baby there, they would give them for adoption, they would come back. But it's a shame on the family to have a baby out of wedlock. This is a situation before the woman entered the workforce. But after that, what is happening is become... It's uh, so, so prevalent, so prevalent. That you know, people are having one, two, three kids before marriage and then after that getting married is normal. If they do want to decide to get married, right? So we should, um, it's, it's um, you know, <laughs> I remember it's so common now, it's, it's like not considered a sin at all. I remember back, Billah, the affair that happened with Bill Clinton. So one of our bichari, very simple, innocent teacher, <laughs> he was saying, oh, bichari ki zindagi tabah kar diya, uski shadi kase hogi. I said, this is the last thing you need to worry about, Musa. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, the, the intern, he's talking about the, yeah. So he said that, uh, he, he said that the zalim, he, for those who don't understand what I said in Urdu, he said the zalim, he destroyed that little young intern came to work in the White House, he destroyed her future, how is she ever gonna get married now? I told him, for God's sake, there's a lot of things to worry about, Mulana. Don't worry about that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> So that's not, that's not going to necessarily affect her eligibility for marriage anymore. So this, this is, uh, 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 this is the culture we're living in. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He doesn't even say in the Quran, Wala taznu, do not commit zina. Rather Allah ta'ala says, Wala taqrabu zina. Don't even come near unto zina. So all the things that lead to zina are made haram, and all the conditions for zina, for it to happen are made haram. Among them being khalwa. Actually, the, the, I think I will stop this topic because I want to speak about this when you have the whole gender issue. I want to repeat all these things. Where I'm not going to repeat it, it'll be incomplete there. And we have other aspects of workplace to talk about. So I should stop this because I can keep on going now talking about this. So many ayat about this, so many hadiths about this, so much data about this topic. But the one thing, and I conclude with this answer, for, for, and then he can move on to the next topic is, we should not take this lightly. If you think, oh, I have a strong marriage, come on, I'm never going to fall for this, right? Subhanallah. The, the one who considers himself to be immune from the attack of shaitan is the one who already lost the battle. We have to always be afraid. And I'm giving you this disclaimer that if Allah makes me remember it, I may be repeating some of this stuff when the gender thing comes and you have to make sabr. And this is the fabi when it's repeated, it is established. I tell the students this is the fabi to repeat it. So I'll repeat it. Anyway, so there was a man, he wanted to go and meet a great sheikh, a great wali of Allah, and a great alim. He was a top student who graduated from the madrasa of Rasulullah. The gold medalist graduated from the madrasa of Rasulullah of Sufa. Who is that? Abu Hurairah. So he traveled so far to go visit Abu Hurairah. He came upon him and he saw him making dua. He was so desirous to benefit from him, hadith, that he did something which is otherwise not appropriate. That he went very close to eavesdrop on his dua. And when he went there, Abu Hurairah is an old man at this point. And the first dua that he happens to hear him is, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika minaz zina. 
So he got so shocked, he, he, he blew his own cover that he was eavesdropping and he blurted out, Ya Abu Huraira, laqad sahibta Rasulullah. Oh Abu Huraira, you are a companion of Rasulullah and you're seeking protection from this end? So Abu Huraira, his door was broken now, so he grabbed his hand. He said, I ask you one question. Is Iblis alive or not? Grant me respite till the day of judgment. Allah said, I will give you the respite till the day of judgment. Oh Allah, I promise you I will misguide all of them. Except for a few that will escape my grasp. So, he said, if Iblis is alive, we need to seek protection. So the beginning of the problem is when you think, oh, it's not a big deal. So I'm enjoying a laugh with her, we just this, and you know, maybe she gave me a gift, I give her a gift, whatever, this, that. It's okay, man, we're just working. And then, uh, it's, the talk is sweet, the, 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 the sight pleases the eye, pleases the ear, pleases the heart, pleases the which heart? Nafs ammara bisu, not the ruh. So a person enjoying it, it's like whatever, it's just enjoyment on the way, and you know, not a big deal. But this is a what? Slippery slope. Starts with communication, then goes to, to meetings, to rendezvous, to, to work meetings, become personal meetings, right? And then it's a very, very easy, it, it goes so. And the thing is, in our job as an imam, we deal with the nikahs and we also deal with the talas, the sad part. And there's a lot of talk that we say, oh, Allah protect the youth, protect the youth, about premarital stuff. Do you, have, you have no idea. Just like if you're a healthy individual and you're doing your own work in IT or engineering or corporate, you, you think everything's fine. Go talk to the ER doctor. He'll tell you, oh my God, all these gunshot wounds are coming, oh, all these heart attacks are coming. Because he, that's what he deals with. So likewise, we deal with that. Do you have any idea? Maybe we shouldn't have an idea. We remain blissfully ignorant that there are so many extramarital affairs in married Muslim families. Extramarital by definition is married couples. Both sides are married. Married woman is having an affair with married man. Where? Muslims. Here. Around us. Like in a radius right here. There's so much married couples having. You know. It's taking place. This is such a sin. Rasulullah said, A person will not commit zina and iman is with him. The iman will leave the person's heart. Say, I can't even stand this zina. If he dies, then he dies without iman. After committing this heinous act, then he comes back. It's just so common. So we cannot let it, we don't even want to, yani music will create lust, music is haram. Dancing will increase shawal, dancing is haram. Seeing obscene things will create lust, that's haram. Being in solitude is a shirt for it, condition for it, that's been haram. Intermingling will lead to that, it's been haram. So much effort is, I mean, so many rules are there to make it uh, hard for us to go towards that sin. But, um, we are committing everything around it and we, are, we think we are going to be safe. So, Aminu Makrallah, the one who says, I'm, I'm, I'm Ma'amun, I'm, uh, I'm safe, Falaymanu Makrallah ila al he's the Khasir, he's the loser. So, we have to be very, very careful. We have to make it known, everyone at our work should know that this is a person who does not get involved in flirtatious behavior, does, he's, he's polite. Doesn't mean you have to be rude. Doesn't mean you have to be mean. Doesn't mean you have to frown. Doesn't mean you have to uh, be cruel or insensitive. Doesn't mean if someone needs help, you don't help them. Yeah. 
But you know this uh, helping and having mercy and kindness, it very easy can, can switch over to something else. Start having other types of feelings, right? So this altruistic behavior can very easily go into something else. But we have to be polite, we have to be kind, we have to show our deen. But uh, we should be, it should be known that this person is, is it's a waste of time to try to entrap him. You know when Allah Ta'ala speaks about like uh, theft, robbery, He puts the male first. As-sariqu was-sariqatu faqta'u aydihuma. The male thief and also the female thief. Their hands must be cut. When Allah Ta'ala speaks about zina, Allah Ta'ala says az-zaniyatu first was zani. The female adulteress and the male adulterer. Why is the female mentioned first? With the exception of forcible rape, in consensual zina that takes place, it will take place in many cases by the woman as an instigator or being okay with it and letting it happen. So this zaniya that Allah has mentioned her first before zani, the female gender is mentioned before the male. They would know that this person is not interested in this type of things because he strictly does his business and gets out. He is not interested in the extracurricular activities. <laughs> right? So this, is, this has to become so known so well known in the workplace that they won't even try. And when, in this challenge and any other challenge that comes, again, it goes back to what? At the end of the day, we have to have yaqeen that Allah is the razir. Oh, what if they, what if I go for the interview and I don't shake her hand, she'll be upset. The thing is, there's a sahih hadith in Al-Bukhari, Ashab al-Qutubi ba'da kitabillah, most authentic book after the book of Allah. Ma masat yadu Rasulullah sallallahu the hand of Nabi never touched the hand of any woman, ever. Now the thing is, unfortunately, the message that is being sent to the people from the leadership, Muslim leadership, is confusing. Just like Mir Mujahid Bhai is a dear friend, he's sitting next to me, and he would never say something like this. Well, in one Islamic conference, I was on a panel with a very well-known national known celebrity scholar. So actually what he said, the following statement was public because this happened in a MSA conference. So I could take his name, but I don't need to publicly take his name. It could be any number of them because many are pushing and saying these things. So there was a, this is at a university, MSA conference. So there was a, a, one of the persons in the crowd, he asked this question. He said that, um, you know, I'm in the medical profession and uh, I, um, when it comes to examining the patient, for that matter, it's totally permissible to that which is needed. Because the necessity makes that impermissible permissible. But he said that, um, is it okay that after I, do, I, you know, uh, I do finish the exam, if I shake the hands of my female patients? He only asked about shaking hands. He didn't ask about anything beyond that. So, now, there, this is a gap here, right? We were sitting on a table, like literally elbow to elbow with the other speaker. I'm sitting there in the panel, and my re respected uh, colleague, he, he uh, said that, he said, <coughs> SubhanAllah, I also work in the, I'm in the medical field, and I believe in the healing power of touch. So he said, my personal practice is, you're asking about shaking hands, I hug my female patients. 
So I hug my female patients. You should hug them. Bichara Sahil, the questioner only asked about handshake. <laughs> so, uh, so the thing is, uh, then uh, now the thing is, we're, we're sitting there, right? So we have the examples of our akabir and mashayikh, and going back to Rasulullah going back to Musa Salam. He took a promise. I'm not going to object. I'm to Khidr. But then he objected. Why did he object? Why did he break his promise? He didn't know you're not supposed to break a promise. He knew, but he had a commitment to Allah. What is a commitment? That if something is wrong is happening, you must speak up. In fact, what is the definition of sunnah? Akhwalu Rasulullah his statements, af'aluhu, his actions, and taqariruhu, those things that are silently he approved and affirmed by not objecting. If anything happens in the presence of a Nabi of Allah, and the fact that he does not uh, um, condemn it, the absence of the condemnation, absence of objection, proves it's sunnah by default. Just because he did not object. It's, a, it's an approval. And as the Wuratha of the Anbiya, our Mashaykh, they taught us, we are not a Waris Nabi, but our Mashaykh were as inheritors, as Al-Ulama'u, Waratha Al-Anbiya. The ulama are the inheritors of the Prophets. Just by remaining silent, it's uncomfortable, you, you know, you'll say, oh, you know, we have uncomfortable moments in, in our workplace. You work at, you're in the Masjid of Dar Salaam, what uncomfortable environment you have. We have a lot of uncomfortable challenges. This is one such challenge. Because this is a very, very famous celebrity scholar with thousands of, uh, you know, in the past, Sheikh would have murids. Now you have uh, followers. Huh? What type of followers? Facebook followers and and all the social media followers, and likes on YouTube, and subscribers to the channel, and all that. So I was thinking, oh my God, what do I say? So I was, I was right there. Now if I don't say anything, they'll say, oh, Mufti Minhaj approved it too, because he, was, he didn't say anything. So then, uh, even though the question was posed to him, and he responded, I could have said, hey, he didn't ask me. So you have what? Two, three seconds to think about it before the next question comes, and then it's too late. So then I said, okay, uh, from okay, respect to colleague, I would like to just add one note to that. So there was a... Uh, wireless mic like this one. So then I just took it, I said, my, my colleague spoke about the healing power of touch. SubhanAllah, amazing concept. Who, who's, you know, who, if there is a healing power in touch, then I want to ask you the crowd. You don't just tell them the answer, you take them on the journey so they reach the conclusion. I said, whose touch do you think could be, have the most healing power? Is there anyone? Yeah, because we already gave the answer before we started, right? But yeah, in, the, in this scenario today. But uh, I said, whose touch could be, could potentially have the most healing power? So everyone's thinking this one. Which, um, I mean, Isa Islam had such healing power that the dead become alive, right? akmaha wal abrasa, and then He he touches the akmaha. The blind, the one who's blind, born blind, Abbas who has um, uh, skin pigment disease, and uh, the leper, and Uhi al-Mota, the dead becomes alive. This doctor, Shaykh, if he touches a dead person, will become alive? And Habibullah Muhammad al-Mustafa sallallahu maqam is what? Higher than Isa alayhi So I said that, who, do you th- who's, who has the most healing touch? Nabi sallallahu alayhi in Sahih al-Bukhari, the hadith, ma mustatiyatu Rasulillah yada imratin qattu. The hand of Nabi Sallallahu never touched any woman's hand. So, w- where does our hand come into the picture? What do you think? I'll leave that up to you to decide, right? 
So, so afterwards in the speaker's lounge, they had a speaker's lounge. It wasn't Ramadan, so people were eating throughout the day. Right? So <laughs> then he came and said, oh, you know, I thought he was going to be upset. He said, oh, that was, that was, appreciate that. For now. I have to give him credit that he was kind. Uh, so the thing is, we, we have to remain firm on the deen. You know who, who ends up destroying uh, and confusing people? Ourselves, the Ummah. This is an example from the leadership. We had, for example, in St. Louis, we had an interfaith partnership, 31 faiths. Um, actually, I, I ended up making it 32 faiths because the Qadianis, they wanted to join under Islam. So uh, they said, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad you know, we are Muslims too. They want to join the interfaith partnership. So then I had to go to the chairman and everything, and I said that, look, um, don't you have uh, the um, Christians separate from Jews? Why, why aren't the Christians going under Jews? The Jews believe in Abraham up to Moses. Christians, you guys believe in Jesus after Moses, right? So you're, you're different from the Jews. And then um, why are we different from you? We believe in Jesus and Moses and Old Testament and New Testament. We believe in the Old Testament, New Testament, but we believe, we believe in the Final Testament. You don't believe in that. That's why we're separate. Or if, like for example, Church of Later Day Saints, LDS, Mormons. Why are they a separate religion and part of the 31? Aren't they Christian too? But they believe in a prophet afterwards from Salt Lake City. <laughs> right? So, uh, uh, so they, they believe in the, uh, right? the Mormons. They have a separate prophet. So then there's another. So they're absolutely welcome. Welcome where? In an interfaith. Not intra-faith, interfaith. Right? So, uh, uh, so I said they're welcome, but they can make 31 into 32. They can't because uh, they believe in Muhammad. No, but don't they believe in Muhammad? Yeah, they believe in Muhammad, but they believe in uh, Mr. Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani, right? Afterwards. False prophet. So then when I give the example of, then they understood. They said, yeah, they're welcome, but not under banner of Islam. From the Ahmadiyya movement. Anyway, so every year, the, now the people there, there's, there was Beth Rodriguez. She was the executive director. So I was interacting, like you're talking about interacting with females. I never thought about all these females I interacted with until you asked me the question. <laughs> so we, would, we had a very privileged, they know I don't shake hands. They know the rabbis, they, they don't just lower the gaze. What do you know the Orthodox rabbis do? 90 degrees. Imagine, I don't want to say imagine you're a woman, but if there was another woman here, uh, if it was a rabbi, he, he would be like this. He would not even face, he goes like this. Yeah. So, I do. then they said every year one of the faiths would invite uh, the guest speaker for the annual dinner. So it was the uh, Muslim's turn. So Imam Hasij, right? he invited the Grand Mufti of Bosnia. Yeah. So in the, in the main dinner, it was in the, the Hilton Frontenac Hotel, right? Just Hilton Frontenac. So then over there what happened, I did the opening invocation, which is the dua. Mm. So then after the dua opening invocation, then, then they, this Beth came and they, he gave a speech. After he gave a speech, then they were going to present him an award. So she knows because she's been dealing with me that we don't shake hands, right? So when she got the award, on the stage, and there's a huge banquet hall of, with round tables and all the dignitaries and everyone from the cardinal of the Catholic Church to the chief rabbis to all these Hindu pundits to everybody's there. And then <laughs> uh, 32 faiths. 
then Allah Akbar Ajeeb so she took the award she takes the award to present it and she's very careful to not by mistake touch him to give it on the stage when so what is it in front of I think there was about 800 attendees 1000 attendees he puts the award on one side he hugs her and he kisses her on both sides of the cheek <laughs> now when I say kissing to be I don't want to exp- say more than not like lips on cheek but the cheek to the cheek where you kiss in the air like that yeah so she was like, oh, like what kind of what kind of deen is this Muhammad Haji talking about and then now the chief grand mufti is doing this kissing me in front of everyone because I had been teaching her the whole thing about this is how Muslims interact so like who destroys it we are the one destroying it ourselves so there's no consistency in our own practice. Okay, I can go on with the topic, keep the stories, right? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so now we're just gonna, I mean, there's not a whole lot to add, but just a few practical tips uh, that, you know, keeping that background in mind. So number one, what Mufti Sab said was consistency, right? Setting expectation and be consistent is yeah. important, uh, right from the get-go. If you're doing it and getting in the new job or, or setting the environment, you know, within the environment, setting that expectation. Setting the expectation is important and be consistent in it. So because, you know, one time you go, you're hugging and, and doing everything, next time you're like, oh, it's not then, then it, the word spreads. So that's, the third one is be a confident Muslim, you know, and that comes with, with the yaqeen that Allah is the one who's providing and trust in your abilities, you know, with the Father of Allah that you become the best worker. That is the key thing. When you're good at what you do, people respect. I know a lot of doctors, all every trade person who's good at what they do, they're unapologetic, and two, they demand respect. Absolutely. So, when he went like this, <laughs> it reminded me on YouTube, you can look it up. It was a news item, global news item on BBC. I just saw it on BBC. My classmate who's just sitting next to me. And we were classmates for seven years, Sufyan Iqbal. Now, so like 20 years ago, no, 23 years ago, he graduated. So he was an imam in London. He is an imam in London. This news article came where um, now it's what King Charles and and uh, the Prince William and his the the and the princess, his wife. They came in a tour to his masjid, Islamic center. So uh, there's a video of it where the, the prince, he used to be all these years Prince Charles, now he's King Charles, right? So prince, now he's, he's the prince now, the William. So he shakes his hand. Well, and then the, the princess, she comes, she shakes the hand of all the board members, they're all actually shaking hands with the princess. But when they, when they come to the imam, she stretches her, her hand like this, the princess of Wales. And my classmate, I was so proud of him, and it was on our class group. Somebody put the link. <laughs> uh, so that, look, he's rejecting the princess. So he, 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 uh, he, just went, he just went like this. This became a news item. And all of the media, who are they attacking? And who are they making fun of? The princess. Not him. They said how ignorant she is. She didn't read the briefing. She didn't get studied. Who is she going to say salam to? This is an imam of masjid. This is a Muslim. So all the attacks are against the prince and not against the imam. They're saying that the imam, he, uh, he bowed his head with respect, he put his hand over his heart, 
But he not touch her because what kind of a princess is this? Why doesn't she know where she's going? She should have done her proper our investigation and uh, background information. She would, and her staff should have educated her if she didn't know. Yeah. So the thing is, it's up to us, you know, to be confident, as you said, and to be consistent. And then you will demand respect. And you got to be good at what you're doing too. Because Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Allah wants you to have perfection in everything you do. Now, he could have said like in architecture, you should be perfect. In calligraphy, you should be perfect. In beautiful things. But you know what example he gave? The ultimate dirtiest things. The bloodiest things. He gave two examples. You have to have perfection in that. And if you have to have perfection in these bloody things, then other things of by default. What example he gave? In Allah Such that even when you have to make dhabah, do dhabah with ihsan, and when you have to even kill a person through because uh, you know he's a murderer and he's being executed, the executioner has to execute him, then that should be done with ihsan too. Now, that's a whole different chapter, how the ihsan is in that. But the point is, in work, we have to, we have to be good at our work, and then, inshallah, you'll demand respect. Everyone will respect you. Go ahead. Yeah. You have a question? events, you know, parties and all that. So, you know, what yes, you sir. answered for first applies for the second. Yeah. But the third one is what is... Diversity what? inclusion is a big part of... Yeah. You know, you can speak more on that. Yeah. How, so we should take advantage of that. It's all about, you know, before it may have been, okay, there's only one set particular lifestyle that is being pushed down and promoted. But now, a diversity with respect to color, with respect to language, with respect to orientation, with respect to... Sexual preference with respect to the, any per, what's your personal per, preferred pronoun to all the things is everything is subjective everything has everyone has their own individual reality there's no absolute truth the truth is relative all of these concepts from philosophy and postmodernism so there are some benefits on that for us where you know anyone comes dressed like whatever whatever color hair whatever color this whatever everything is okay you know whatever is okay for you whatever you feel comfortable with so. We can take advantage of that and say, this is our religion, this is our deen. This is an opportunity for us to express our deen. Go ahead. You can speak more about the, yes. what his question. So, so there was a question, right? It says, in today's diverse work environment, what advice would you give to Muslim employees for respectfully interacting with and supporting, I wouldn't say supporting, interacting with LGBTQ plus colleagues and while ad adhering to our beliefs and values? Yeah, while adhering to our, see, basically with this thing is that, we have, we should approach them, as, uh, I mean, if we are approached by this, we don't have to necessarily go out and pick fights, start arguing with people. Um, if there are certain conditions for when nahiyan and munkar becomes wajib, one, nahiyan and munkar meaning forbidding the wrong. One of the conditions is that you have a strong reasonable uh, belief that they will accept what you're saying. You also have a strong reasonable belief that it will not create a big fitna. Then you do nahiyan and munkar. Like your child, particularly subordinates, 
your child, your employee, someone who reports to you, it is you see them doing wrong. Your friend, your colleague, your roommate, you stop them from something wrong, for sure. If it's not going to make any dent anywhere, then you don't have to go out of your way to start attacking them. Because you do your own work. The question is that if you are asked to actively support it. Now if it's Pride Month, you know, and you have your cubicle, do you want to put up the rainbow colors? Beautiful Qudrat of Allah has been hijacked by these people, right? So like, you know, there was a, the his teacher's group, there was a picture, there was one who was raining, one brother, one little young student, he had a, a rainbow umbrella. They're like, oh, should we ban this? <laughs> he doesn't know, right? So the rainbow is a beautiful thing, but it has been hijacked by these people. So putting up a rainbow poster, supporting actively that lifestyle, that's something that is a no-go. We, we cannot do that. Um, and if we are, you know, they're being interrogated, why you don't support it, then you should say that. Look, even from a secular perspective, one of the fundamental arkan or principles of secularism is, as I mentioned before, is everyone is allowed to have their own uh, reality of, of the whole existence, right? You believe in a God, you can. If you don't want to believe in a God, it's fine. Whatever you want to believe in is fine. It's so relative, everything is so relative and that whatever your anatomy is, it doesn't make a difference. Whatever your physiology, it doesn't make a difference. You can assign whatever gender you want, right? So, um, you can say that you, if you have your legal right to exercise this type of lifestyle, then you have your legal right to do what you have. Likewise, I have a right too. And my right is that I have the right in this land because there's a Bill of Rights in the Constitution. We the people of the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, right? And ensure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. So in the Constitution, there's in the preamble, after that, the Bill of Rights. Now in the Bill of Rights, it's the freedom of religion. So we have, we have the freedom to what? Practice a religion. So I retain the right to believe that this is an uh, immoral lifestyle. But I'm not forcing it down your throat. Yeah. You do whatever you want. But you, just like I'm not, I'm not going to interfere in your LGBT alphabet lifestyle, right? I'm going to uh, not interfere, do whatever you have to do. But you cannot impose that upon me that I must necessarily support this. You know. So then you can say, for example, I, you know, I, I, I believe Allah is my God, and Muhammad is my prophet, and Quran is, is the heavenly revealed book. Do you believe that? No. So am I going to automatically say you're an Islamophobe, you're a bigot, a hatred, I have hatred for Muslims? No. You say, I'm not an Islamophobe, I just don't believe that. I don't hate Muslims. So likewise, why, if I don't believe in that lifestyle, I believe it's an immoral lifestyle, why do you think I'm a homophobe? Homophobia is the one who is hating. I'm not going to ever kill a homosexual, billah, attack a homosexual physically or verbally. I'm never going to insult anyone. This is a homosexual individual. You're not supposed to insult him. The Quran says that, what is the worst crime? What's worse than homosexuality? Shirk. Forget about the mushrik. The one that they're uh, worshipping, the idol. The idol that they're worshipping besides Allah, could there be a bigger crime? Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَا تَسُبُّ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Do not curse the false gods that they have besides, that they have ascribed besides me. Why? فَيَسُبُّ اللَّهَ عَدْوًا بِغَيْرِ In response, they will curse Allah. And you will be the indirect means of that. 
So if you're not supposed to curse the false gods, why are you supposed to curse the homosexual guy? So if you're not going to curse you, but this is, in my religion, I have the right to believe this immoral, and, I, and, and branding me as a homophobe is a crime. Your homosexuality may or not be a crime, but calling me a homophobe is a crime. Because I'm not a homophobe. I just, I just don't believe personally that it's a moral lifestyle. Right? It's just like me calling you a homophobe. So, um, and then we just be firm on that. So, so what, what Malana Farhan was asking the question about uh, the DEI and all the initiative in the last four or five years. So, I give you an example. So, seven, eight years ago, so within the workplace, so I had a person part of my team. I had a person who was part of my team uh, that changed gender, and uh, from men to women, and and I had a very hard time uh, realizing. I, I kept uh, saying he because I, you know, it was just so natural. So it just did not, you know. I was, you know, I was approached by HR, so I said, "Hey, it is sensitive." Uh, you know, they take it personally. So I've I've been asked to really reflect on it. However. Few years later, then told this DEI initiative started, and to be honest, when I look at it, I think that's the best thing happened for Muslims, because now the diversity, the inclusion part of it, made it easier for us as a Muslim to establish the identity and practice it, you know, without any issues. Seriously, I mean, yesterday I was telling my father, it's like, for the first time in my 22 years career, I gave a full town hall presentation on Ramadan. You know, explaining what Ramadan is and what to expect from the Muslims within Ramadan and what it is. So prior to that, I mean, I worked 22 years. Like never, nobody even asked. It's like you know, I had to make a lot of excuses, call in sick, and all of that because you stayed up all night. But now I don't. I send an email saying that it is Ramadan, so they know hours wise, they know uh, how you know timing wise. They're fully understandable. So so all I'm going to say is Alhamdulillah. I mean, the moment started, but there's a benefit uh, for us as a Muslim as well. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Uh, 
Uh, mashallah, that's the heartfelt emotion there. 100% on point, exactly. Yeah. That's why I said the first point is, believe Allah is Razid, but he added another element to it as well. Just being, having, uh, being, uh, alhamdulillah, thankful. When you use the word proud to be a Muslim, meaning thankful that Allah granted us the blessing of Islam. That's why the dua that Mulan Farhan after Fajr, what did he recite? It's not just Allah is my Rabb, Islam is my Deen, Muhammad is my Nabi. What is it? Raditu billahi Raditu bil Islam Raditu. Meaning I'm pleased and proud and happy to declare that Allah is my Rabb, Muhammad is my Nabi, and Quran is my, the book of Allah. The Islam is my Deen. So we have to be, you know, so it goes back to lack of confidence, lack of confidence because of lack of Yaqeen. And, and that's coming off in all these different ways now. Right. That's the thing. Everyone that at the time people are listening attentively to the deen. We stopped narrating the story of deen. So, so I'm going to just do a rapid fire mufti shop here. So uh, one of the other common issues of the workplace, well, pre-COVID, uh, I'm sure there's a little bit here who is going back. It's, it's a water cooler talk. Well, oh, yeah. Water cooler talk and the gossips yeah, yeah. and all of that. So sometimes you're just kind of uh, forced into the situation, and, and and people are testing you out whether you support. So how do you handle that? Yeah. So gossip is such a thing that Subhanallah. Uh, again, it's an opportunity for us to shine to show the, uh, our integrity, our character, character of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Ghibat and backbiting is such a sin that is among those sins that it's not only a sin to commit it, but it's also a sin to be in a gathering where it is happening and remain silent. And this is one really uh, easiest way of gaining ultimate respect. That, for example, one of our teachers, Hafizullah Mufti Muhammad Ali Bhabali, forget about in the dunya, in corporate, even in deen, in madaris. There's all these, sometimes in politics, rivalries, this and that, different issues between admin, teachers, students, whatever. Like he was known that in his entire life, every single teacher, every single student, everyone from the admin, everyone from the public would say, this is one man that his entire life, zindagi mein kabhi ghibat Everybody said this person, he never backbited anyone in his entire life. Nor does he tolerate any backbiting. No matter whatever the drama may be happening, whatever politics may be happening and brewing, in the background, he will never say anything bad about anyone behind their back. And he's just known for it till today. When you ask the question, that's the first person comes into my mind because frankly, they are very few like that. How many people can we say and swear that this person never backbite in his whole life? Very few. So if we control that, 
inshallah, we, we will uh, gain respect of our colleagues, we will gain respect of the admin. It'll, side benefit of that is that we'll advance in your work too. Everyone will know that this person uh, is a person of upright character. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, you mentioned keyword is rapid fire, he said. You see how it's such a kind manner he's giving shout out, yes. SubhanAllah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so the, um, the other question was misconception and stereotypes. So, I mean, I think this is rather mentioned. It's like there's always this misunderstanding. I never knew Muslims. They all classify Muslim into one category. So how do we bring this to attention within the workforce and uh, to clear some of these misconceptions? That, uh, stereotyping. Stereotyping, yeah. So the thing is, actions speak louder than words. And there was a, a, a poll done, survey, that uh, about people who have misconceptions about Islam. And the results of the study showed that the people who had the most favorable opinions about Islam or had the least negative feelings about Islam are those who had at least one interaction with the Muslim. And those who had no interaction with Muslims, they're just watching fair and balanced news, right? <laughs> Uh, or, you know, all of these, uh, um, you know, maybe they're hearing about Islam from evangelicals or from these pundits on TV. So they, they were having a negative image. But whoever interacted with Muslims, they all had positive feelings about Islam. So with true practicing Muslims. So through our amal, when, you know, subtly, sometimes even explicitly, we can talk about our deen. And any opportunity, but you have to be careful. With wisdom, and uh, this should become an impetus for us, an encouragement for us that let us learn our deen ourselves. Let us learn about the seerah of Rasulullah ourselves. Let's go back and review it, so that we can find examples from the seerah of Rasulullah to convey to people. Yeah. All right. So uh, the other question was in regards to Juma. You know, during the work hours, like, you, know, you know, Friday, then you have Jima, then the regular prayers, and you have meetings. So, like, how do we uh, handle that within the work environment in terms of prayer timings and, and Friday in particular? Yeah, so we, we, we do not be shy. We mention these things right up front. Yeah. I talked about the ayah of Jima in the beginning. Yeah. All right? Um, when it comes to uh, wudu, when it comes to Sinja, I remember like years ago in the 90, early 90s when you went to uh, Dujbury, Marcus, like 92 in Jamaat, I was a student, there was one, the, the ulama talaba of, ilm, of the madrasa, they would do the khidmat, serve the food. So there was one very tall white American, do you remember? 92, long time ago. There was this tall British, uh, uh, Caucasian white, uh, Anglo-Saxon, tall white, uh, mashallah, uh, original um, uh, British uh, man who was wearing a turban and, and he was serving and he was a mother's student becoming an alim. So my father, he stopped him and asked him that, uh, I, I don't know if you remember, this a long time ago, if you may remember or not. Yeah, they, uh, you remember, yes. He asked him, you know, the, what's the first question? Like, oh, uh, how did you accept Islam? What is the story? So he said he was in a university. Can you believe this? Look at this. This is an ajib story. It's not from some amazing... Um, uh, theological debate or he saw like um, Ahmad Didad debating, you know, Jerry Fowler or something. No. It's because he said, my roommate, we had a, a two bedrooms and we had a joint toilet bathroom. So in the bathroom, he had what? 
The flower pot, uh, flower uh, watering can. Lota. Lota. So he said, I said, no, but your flower, he's saying flower, right? So, so he said that we don't have any plants in the bathroom, so what is the <laughs> Artificial plant we need or natural? <laughs> so if we don't have artificial nor natural, we don't have no plants here, we can't afford all that stuff, right? It's just a bathroom, it's not a restroom. <laughs> to rest in entertainment room with the, you know, TV and everything. So, what, what's this for? So then he said that, uh, no, we actually use this for purification. Purification, after you, after you use the bathroom, then we purify ourselves. So, he's, he, and, and this actually was uh, in the time of Bilal and Sahaba Rasulullah they were mocking him. And they said, oh, your Nabi teaches you everything, even teaches you istinja. They made fun of istinja. Who did the mushrikeen of Makkah? And, and Bilal said, yes, I defend Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He teaches everything, hadd al-khira, even how to excrete and excrete ourselves and clean ourselves, he teaches us that. So he said, that lota, that thing, which we, that, um, the pot for water that we use to purify ourselves, then he got so amazed by that. And then he started saying, oh, what else? And then he started learning. That. And that became the first point. From there, he started learning about the seerah and learning about the Prophet learning about the deen and that teaches purity to the extent that he became Muslim. Not only became Muslim, he became alim of the deen. I mean, so, we used to, when we were coming from Kankiki to CPSA, we had a, uh, a driver who used to, had a shuttle service to take people from Kankiki to the O'Hare airport. So we used to take a ride with him, Tom Jacobson. So I remember, uh, um, we um, one time somehow the top of Sinja came up and we said that we have to clean ourselves with the water. So it's a religious instruction. As students, I was in ninth grade, I told him. So then he said that, oh wow, so you, prob you have to use some holy water. <laughs> so this is a very deep thing to think about it. When I said it's a religious obligation to clean ourselves, immediately he thought it was what? Holy water. Because the, in the concept of Christianity, if something is religious, it's a few rituals. The religion will not extend to mundane worldly things. But for us, Alhamdulillah, we say Islam is what? Complete way of life. So if you're used to it, oh, when you're eating, oh, this is sunnah of eating, this is sunnah of sleeping, sunnah. Do you think the other faiths have something, anything remotely like that? So when, as soon as I said it's a religious obligation, okay, like baptism is a religious obligation, there's a water element there too, right? There's few rituals. That's your whole deen, right? So when it's, if istinja is a religious obligation, it must be some type of holy water. There's no holy water, you can use any water. Oh really? Any water, wash yourself, that's deen too? Yeah, because deen teaches us everything. So when it comes to istinja, when it comes to wudu, the whole foot in the toilet, oh, not for toilet, <laughs> foot in the sink, foot in the sink issue, we're so shy about that. Now Allah Ta'ala has given us, you know, if you don't want to wear the khufain, the leather socks, then we have the seal skins, it used to be, now we have the wudu gear, wudu socks. You can buy it in the bookstore downstairs, right? So, uh, then, you know, and when it comes to performing salah, so alhamdulillah, we should not be afraid of, uh, of anyone. We are worship. This is Allah Ta'ala, uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, al wa tahura. This whole earth, Allah has made it the place for the Muslim to pray salah. Whereas in the previous, Allah Ta'ala said, They had to perform their ibadah, Banu Israel, Musa time, in only specific houses of worship in a ma'bad, place of ibadah. But for this ummah, the whole earth we can pray. So if you're worshipping Allah, the creator of the earth, on his earth, why do you have to be afraid? Anyway, go ahead. Actually, Mufti Sahib answered all of the rapid-fire questions already. So uh, there was a question about from prayer to, to the Lota one. So, uh, you know, in corporate, you know, it's very hard to walk in. So 
I can tell you is that people look at me when I'm walking with glass bottles and all of that, and I, and now they're they're expecting. You know, they know that he takes water bottle inside. So most of these you know, answers, you know, in a nasty. Actually, even in Japan, for example, there were non-Muslims, like predominantly non-Muslim, very few minority, like super minority Muslims in Tokyo, right? But they really use water for Isinja, the oriental toilets, the total, right? The best toilets, right? Better than Kohler. So what happens? More expensive, at least, right? They have all the bidets, fancy bidets. Yeah. And they... So it is only here. Now people who work in the medical field, they tell us that when the patients change their clothes and go into the uh, hospital clothing, those who are the nurses and everything, what did they see? Everyone's pants was filled with. Filled with the najasa. All the people in your board meeting, don't think about this too much. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who's sitting there, sabke saath kya right? So we, we <laughs> They're all filled with najasa because when they see, they, when they're putting the clothes aside, the people who work there, they told me, what's up, you know, like, uh, like maybe the RN doesn't see the LPN or whatever, you know, the, the, the lower, they, 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 have, they work in the hospital. So they say when they see the clothes of the patients, this is not someone who was like some chronic diarrhea or something, like normal person too, is, is, is uh, uh, the clothes have najasa. I mean, think about it, how much can najasa can you remove with paper, right? So, water, Allah has sent the water for purification. And Allah Ta'ala says about the people of Quba, Allah loves those who make Tawbah, Allah loves those who make Tahara, because the people of Quba used a lot of water to purify themselves. So, we do not have this filth with us, they're carrying the filth. We, we have enough filth inside our bodies, they have filth outside the bodies too. So, Alhamdulillah, Allah has thanked that He guided us to Islam and such a beautiful ni'mah it is. Yeah, the last question was, was on, on the socks, which Mutizab addressed, you know, now, three years ago, we never had wudu socks. It was leather socks, or you have to, you know, wash the normal way. But there was always, you know, shyness of going there, washing your feet, doesn't, don't wash your feet. But in today's world, a lot of this corporate, as part of the DEI initiatives, they have wudu place. Like I used to work at McDonald's, there is actually a full-fledged wudu facility in there. Like, you know, back in the United States, everywhere now they accommodate for this one. You know, you go out as a Muslim workforce and they ask, they, they make this arrangement for it. But alhamdulillah, we have wudu gear socks, which is available downstairs. But, Subhanallah. There was a meeting, uh, negotiating meeting to the, the, for the terms of the treaty with the uh, Armenian nobles in the Khilafat Osman so there was a de high-level delegation, and there was a meal before the discussion. So the nobles and the king and the king and his court were on one side, and the Sahaba were on the other side. They were eating in Tabi'in too. So this is a later day, a later khilaf of the period of Osman bin Affan. So Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, Sahib al-Siri Rasulullah, secret bearer of Rasulullah, he was eating too. One morsel of food. Oh, he's gone. Okay. The one, you know, he's eating with his hands. He, it was one morsel of food, it dropped from his hand. Nabi said, When any one of your morsel falls from his hand, he should remove anything harmful that may have contaminated it. Then he should eat it. For you do not know in which morsel the barakah is. It could have been in that morsel, you discarded it. So he picked it up off of, from the table 
to clean it and eat it. So the one who was next to him, he perhaps was a tabi'i, not a sahabi, he elbowed him. He's like, we're going to look like we're fakirs here. Never saw food. Why are you going after the morsel that fell down, right? So uh, just leave it. Like, uh, he meant all of that in his nudge. And he was trying to be what? As discreet as possible because he thought it would give a bad impression to the Armenian nobles. Armenian Azerbaijan, in that region. So oh, th that was the worst thing he could have done because maybe people wouldn't have noticed that he ate it, but you know what happened? He said very loudly, do you want me to abandon the sunnah of my Habib for the sake of these fools? <laughs> right. so, so the thing is, this is that spirit of ishq of Rasulullah, ishq of the deen that we are lacking. So may Allah Ta'ala give us that iman. No, yeah, in, in, in the cases when there's multiple Jumas, you can pray the second one as well. That would open, that's fine. Ideally, there's supposed to be one Jumara, but because of uh, lack of ability of, to accommodate everyone, therefore we have two. Like in the era of COVID, we had three with social distancing, and then we made it back to two, even though we have enough students here who can lead and Imams, because the objective of Jumma is to even be one, ideally, because everyone should be gathered. But then we only do two because of space limitations. But three was a luxury, and it was more convenient, but we said, no, we'll go back to two because the need is fulfilled with two. Yeah, the non-Muslims, yeah, that's exactly, it's like me and the, the Grand Mufti. <laughs> so, so it's the same thing. So there's con no consistency. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 the thing is that that's, what, that's the problem. I understand the problem. That, that is one interaction, then you came back. No, 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 I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying continuous entry. Yeah. Yeah, so he's saying that what, what happens when, when you have practicing and otherwise non-practicing Muslims in a workplace and you're trying to practice and then the non-Muslims, they, they get confused. They say, what are you doing versus they're not doing? So if you're trying to go for Jummah and then the other Muslims who are in your team are not praying Jummah, how do you... Um, so when I was, before Jummah even became farad on me, I used to go to public school, I remember in like fifth grade, sixth grade. 
So my, uh, my uh, mother would come and pick me up from the school. To, yeah, no, I'm talking about this particular incident that happened. Was I was in sixth grade, right? So in that time, I would come for, from the public school to Juma, so I would go to the principal's office, they would know, and I would wait. Huh? So then what happened is one day, uh, my, they were, my mother was not there, and she left a message that, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to pick up my son to bring him to Juma today because she had to go somewhere else or she wasn't available. So then I went to the principal office to wait for my ride. They said, oh, uh, your mom can, said she can't come today. So then they were very perishable. They were so worried. They said, what is God going to say? How are you going to answer God? And you're going to be in trouble with God. Right? <laughs> so because they, they said it's so serious for you, you have to pray, isn't it? So should we arrange a ride? What can we do? Right? So the, so the more serious we take it, they take it. And if you're not taking it seriously, they don't. Now in this case, I think again it goes into education. Of our non-Muslim colleagues will say, look, you, just like any other religion, there are different levels of people who adhere to it. We have to have this frank conversation. There are people who are upholding the principles of the religion, and there are people who are observant, and there are people who are less observant. And you, wanted, you mentioned you want to remain humble, right? So you can remain humble and say, I'm trying my best. You can say, I'm not judging anybody, but um, th these are obligations that I'm trying my best to uphold. They uh, maybe have a more liberal perspective, and they do not consider it necessary, but this is the, actually what is uh, in my religion. Because this is where the inclusion, diversity plays a role. Even within the adherence, or those who claim to adhere to a faith, there may be accommodation for the different levels of adherence. You can say, I'm at this level, where I, I, I consider this an obligation and I must. Perhaps they don't, you can ask them. Why or why not they do? Or you don't have a right to ask them actually. They don't want to, so they don't. But I do. And you, you cannot say that since they're not praying, you, you, you can't pray. No. This is what I regard. And you know, then we from the mother's masjid also, we send so many letters for students and, uh, to be able to wear hijab, uh, to be exempted from swimming class, to be exempted from dance class, to be exempted from fula and this and that. Um, to get a break to go for Juma, all the time we issue letters from the office here at Dar es Salaam to all the students and people are working around, and all those letters are uh, are upheld. They respect that. Yeah, no showers in the gym. Yeah, and school gym period. All of these things. So uh, if I have a meeting at a time with, uh, when it's you know, the Juma thing, like for Zohar, not Juma, but Zohar. So is that? Uh, Yeah, uh, Salat with Jama'ah is not farad. So Zohar, you, if you end up missing, the question was about Zohar and clashing with the meeting. If you can pray it with a few people at work and make your own Jama'ah, that's better. If not, even individually. But Jummah, there's no exemption. Yeah. Inshallah. Any other thing? That's it. That's about, it is Ishraq time. No? Sunrise 6.13, yes, way past, okay, alhamdulillah. So may Allah Ta'ala make it easy for all of us. May Allah Ta'ala give us himma. May Allah Ta'ala make it easy uh, for us to remain strong and firm, yaqeen, and, and inshallah, um, get through all of these challenges and make, give, make it an opportunity for us to demonstrate the deen. Like the Sahaba, they used to just say, kunu, become like us. People were naturally attracted. All of the a'mal of the Nabi Sallallahu the sunnahs have its nur. So if you bring the sunnah to our life, inshallah, that this noor will illuminate and uh, dispel the darkness around us.
wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillah rabbil alamin inshallah the brothers in itikaf had a long night of ibadah can rest and so we have to get up for jumuah as well after performing our ishraq inshallah jazakumullah